Amen. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you, orchestra. Thank you. I love saying it. Thank you, choir. Aren't y'all glad to have our choir back today? It's been quite some time, but I knew that my choir, they're always behind me. Right? Not always, not for the last couple months, but we're glad they're here. I invite your attention this morning to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. We have been walking through this amazing book together. I want to encourage you, if you have not followed along, you may want to go back on uh, our website and look at some of the archived live streams and just pick up because there have been so many timely messages, not because I preach them, but because the Word of God speaks directly to our situation in life. And I want us to look together today at a, a fascinating, fascinating uh, epic of time that is yet to come. It's in the future. We're going to look at the rise of the Antichrist. And we're going to look at the person of the Antichrist. And some of you would ask questions like, so what? What does that matter? Well, I think that we started here and we need to finish here that prophecy is not meant for you to be informed, but rather for you to live transformed. That as we know what's coming, we live differently. As we know what is ahead of us, then it informs our lives so that we can live in a transformed way. And Daniel is such an amazing book as we look at it together. Daniel chapter 7, beginning in verse 15, and we're going to read from there to verse 28. I, Daniel, was troubled by all I had seen and by my visions. They terrified me, and so I approached one of those standing beside the throne and asked him to tell me what it all meant. He explained it to me like this. These four huge beasts represent four kingdoms that will arise from the earth. But in the end, the holy people of the Most High will be given the kingdom and they will rule forever and ever. And then I wanted to know the true meaning of the fourth beast, the one so different from the others and so terrifying. It had devoured and crushed its victims with iron teeth and bronze claws, trampling their remains beneath its feet. I also asked about the ten horns on the fourth beast's head and the little horn that came up afterward and destroyed three of the other horns. This horn had seemed greater than the others and it had human eyes and a mouth that boasted arrogantly. As I watched, this horn was waging war against God's holy people and was defeating them. Interesting language. Until the Ancient One, the Most High, came and judged in favor all of his holy people. And then the time arrived for the holy people to take over the kingdom. And then he said to me, this fourth beast is the fourth world power that will rule the earth. It will be different from all of the others. It will devour the whole world, trampling and crushing everything in its path. It's ten horns or ten kings that, who will rule that empire. And then another king will arise, different from the other ten, and who will subdue three of them. He will defy the Most High and oppress the holy people of the Most High. He will try to change their sacred festivals and laws, and they will be placed under his control for a time, times, and half a time. But then the court will pass judgment and all of his power will be taken away and completely destroyed. And then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all of the kingdoms under heaven will be given to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will last forever and all rulers will serve and obey him. That was the end of the vision. I, Daniel, was terrified by my thoughts and my face was pale with fear, but I kept these things to myself. Some of you read apocalyptic literature like this, apocalyptic scripture, and you wonder with curiosity, what are all of these horns and beasts and powers and kingdoms? But the Bible is clear that Daniel had a vision. He was lying in his bed, and he had a vision in the middle of the night, and in that vision, he saw some amazing things. We've talked of them the last couple of weeks. And each of these four beasts that he saw in his vision represented four kingdoms, and they have already become true in history it started with the Babylonian kingdom and then moved to the Medes and the Persians and then the Greeks took over and then the Romans so those things have happened there were three and then there was a fourth one and this is what we're describing today the first three have already come into being the fourth is yet to come 
Ladies and gentlemen, the Bible speaks of a world leader who will come onto the scene at the end of time. And this leader will be empowered by Satan and he will function as an enemy of Jesus Christ and of the church. And this figure in the context of all this apocalyptic literature will show himself to do four things. I'm just going to put them on the screen. You don't have to write them down. I just want you to, to see these. He will perform false miracles. He will deceive many, many people. And his deception will be focused on keeping them or discouraging them from worshiping the true God. He will also persecute God's people. So we've read that from this place. And we know that leader by this title, Antichrist. We know him by that title, Antichrist. Christ. Now, the Bible only uses the words Antichrist or the word Antichrist four times in all of the Bible. And it's interesting to me, all four of them are in First and Second John. He mentioned them in his writings. The Apostle Paul said this about that character. He said, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there be a falling away first and the man of sin be revealed and then the son of perdition. I've heard it said that one of the most popular sports, indoor sports of theologians, now I know that theologians are known usually for their athletic prowess and their competitive spirit. Well, they may be known for that. They like to argue. But one of the favorite indoor sports of theologians is to identify the Antichrist. People have tried to do that for generations. I mean, literally, just trying to point their fingers. For generations, Bible students have tried their best to pinpoint exactly who it was. Early Christian candidates included men like Judas Iscariot or Nero or every Roman emperor. Later on, people tried to say that every single pope, that's the Antichrist. People have pointed at Martin Luther or Oliver Cromwell or Hitler. John F. Kennedy, Henry Kissinger, Prince Charles, Barack Obama, uh, Hillary Clinton, Saddam Hussein, and my favorite that I literally saw in some of the studies, David Hasselhoff. I I'm not sure why somebody would choose David Hasselhoff as the Antichrist, but nevertheless, in, in my studies, that was one of the names. Now, I want you to see this, though. When you survey the literature of all of history and, and what's been said about this subject, you can choose almost anybody you want to. Republican or Democrat, liberal or conservative, you can choose some figure and say, there he is. That's the Antichrist. And, and I want us to think about this. People have tried to do this for thousands of years, and the possibilities are almost endless. Now, before we come back to Daniel 7, I, I want us to walk through this for a minute and think about it. In the 30s and 40s, there was a very strong and rising opinion that Hitler was the Antichrist. And that makes logical sense for us. His oppression of the people of God, of the, the Jews. But there was a, a little track that was put together in 1941. And it was called The Beast, the False Prophet, and Hitler. And it was a very seriously minded accusation that Hitler must be the Antichrist. It gained a lot of ground worldwide. And I want to give you a little test. There's a, there's a little known scientific uh, discipline called gematria. Anybody know what gematria is? I, I see one or two hands up here. Wow, I'm impressed that anybody would raise their hand. Gematria is taking mainly Hebrew and Greek letters and, and numeralizing letters. It's putting a code together of letters that, and numbers. So think about this with me. Uh, it, it's pretty amazing to me that uh, we, we could do this, but it's a transcoding of letters. So here's what I'm going to do, Hardy Street. I'm going to do a little experiment, and I'm going to do this while you follow along, and when I finish doing this I want you to stop doing this so that we can stay together all right in the book of revelation it says the number of the beast is what I bet y'all know this one 666 have you ever been in a store and the clerk rang you up and said okay that'll be six dollars and 66 cents and you were like oh I need to add some gum or something else <laughs> You ever gotten on a flight or a bus or a train and it was like, welcome aboard flight 666. And you're like, oh, that'll make you nervous, won't it? We're nervous about that. Kind of a funny example, when Ronald and Nancy Reagan moved back to California in Bel Air, 
their address was 666 Cloud Road and they petitioned the county supervisors and had the name, had the address changed to 668. They were like, we just don't want to have anything to do with that. Well, I want to take just a moment through Gematria and I want to prove to you that Hitler was the Antichrist. You ready? So what class, we'll do it this way. Well, it'll be a classroom experiment. If it's a three-digit number, 666, what is the very first three-digit number? 100. So let's just say that A equals 100. So what would B equal? 101. What would C equal? Help me out. 102. And you're going to go all the way to Z, which would be 125. You got 26 letters. So here goes. I'm going to put it on the screen. H is 107. I is 108. T is 119. L equals 111. E is 104 and R is 117. I bet you can already guess. If you add up those numbers, what does it equal? It adds up to 666. See there, we proved it. Now, kind of interesting to me, ain't numbers fun? I mean, we can just kind of play with them here. I, I thought it was interesting that obviously Hitler there is the Antichrist. But I heard somebody say this, that if you think about um, Gematria, if you do this right, you can make anybody the Antichrist. I mean, you can be the Antichrist or you can be the Antichrist if you play with these. Somebody said it this way, if you follow along and it doesn't fit, then add a title to their name. And if that doesn't work, then use Hebrew or Greek letters instead of English. And if that doesn't work, maybe cheat on the spelling. Well, what I'm telling you is don't do this. That is not a great way for us to look at it. But you could literally make anybody fit the mold. I'm almost convinced that 666 is the number of interpretations or possibilities that people have pointed to as to who it might be and nothing else. Nobody knows what that number means yet. Nobody. And I would say this, I believe with all of my heart, we won't know what it means until God wants us to know what it means. And when God wants us to know what it means, everybody that needs to know will know. Amen. Here is the thing. Lots of craziness have gone into this. And, and I could give you all kinds of other examples. We're going to move to our text in a moment. Judas Iscariot was considered for long, long years to be the Antichrist that Daniel spoke of here, this fourth beast. And if you think about it, there are reasons why. Jesus literally designated or designed Judas as a devil in John 6, 70. No other human being in all of the Bible was called demonic in that way in Jesus words in John 17 he talked about the son of perdition and the apostle Paul talked about the son of perdition one was used of Judas and one was used of the antichrist Revelation 18 8 says that it's a return trip to earth and we know that Judas died he was mortally killed and then we'd come back, the, the book of Revelation says. Now, it's interesting to me. We could fit those same things in modern times. In 1956, there was a man, a Bible scholar, who pointed to John F. Kennedy and said, he is the Antichrist. And you start looking at things that happened in his life. As a PT boat captain, he went through a near-death experience and what they said was resurrection. If you've read any of that story, that they resuscitated him. He was shot in the head. So there were, and his brother was killed in the same way. So there's lots of, of implication to that. What I'm saying is you can look at all of these things and recognize that to be maybe the, the spirit of Antichrist in some places, but you need to understand very pointedly that it's not my aim today to, to satisfy your idle curiosities. It's not my aim to in some way appease your appetite. I just want us to walk through Scripture and be faithful to God's Word and learn what we need to know about it. Because if we're going to talk about tribulation times, we're going to talk about Antichrist, and we're going to talk about all of these uh, events that Daniel saw, it sets the stage in Daniel 7 for our understanding. Now, again, we have walked through portions of this text and looked at his dream. And this wicked figure fits into the scheme. God has laid out history from Daniel's day all the way through ours and moving forward. And as we consider the notion of Antichrist, I want us to see that the Bible teaches very pointedly that there will come a day that God will establish an eternal kingdom that will never end. And that kingdom will be given to his people and they will rule and they will reign with him. And this is the introduction ultimately to that kingdom. In fact, Daniel 7, 2 says, Then I saw, 
And then we skip down a little further into verse 7. He says, after this, I saw, and it was that fourth kingdom. And then verse 13, it's sort of the introduction of this final form when the Ancient of Days emerges on the scene. Now, when we get to this place of Jesus Christ being seated on the throne, approaching to judge, or others approaching him, then there's going to be a man that will arise in power. And we know him as the Antichrist. And he takes the final form of that final kingdom. And in Scripture, he has tons of different names. We, we again, don't have time to go through all of these. We'll talk later about them. But he is called uh, here the, the little horn. And horn stands for power and authority. He is one of ten. He would rise up. You move to chapter 8, he's called the king of fierce countenance. Chapter 9, he is considered the prince that shall come or the willful king in chapter 11. Four different names in Daniel alone for him. In Matthew, he's called the abomination of desolation. In the writings of John, he is called the Antichrist. And in Revelation, he's called the beast. I want you to hear this, church. We cannot identify who this person is, but we can recognize what the Bible says about how he is what he is so today here's what i want to do i want to point out very pointedly to you four characteristics of the antichrist and let me interject this i believe with all of my heart before the rise of the antichrist will be taken out that's my framework of belief i i at a literal reading of scripture believe in a premillennial rapture of the church and some of you hear a word like that and glaze over well in about two weeks we're going to talk about all those different views premillennialism and amillennialism and postmillennialism we're going to talk about how people have seen things in the future but i want you to hear this regardless of your end times paradigm all of us understand that jesus christ reigns and rules in the end can I get an amen that is absolutely true and can I get an amen to this in acknowledgement and agreement there are things going on in our world today that point assuredly to the culmination of these kingdoms and the coronation of that king amen you don't have to look very far if you read with the bible in one hand and your news feed in the other you see that we are living in perilous times we're living in unique biblical times and i believe with all of my heart we're going to see some unique things develop let me give you a quote very quickly it's from the prime minister of belgium his name is paul spock the truth is that the method of international committees has failed what we need is a person Someone of the highest order or great experience and great authority of great influence, great energy. Let him come and let him come quickly, either a civilian or a military man, no matter what his nationality, one who will cut through the red tape, shove out all the committees, wake up all the people, and galvanize all the governments into action. He said that in 1930. There were people then clamoring for somebody to have answers. Somebody that would rise up and they would speak with boldness to the issues of the day. And it's fascinating to me that we live in similar vacuum today. People are trying to find somebody that will give them answers to the problems of their lives. When Mussolini took over his meteoric rise throughout Europe, he said literally, I found in Europe empty thrones everywhere and I simply walked in and took one. Four characteristics. Number one, charisma. Write these down. Charisma. Charisma. The Antichrist will be a charismatic leader. The Bible says in verse 8 that he was given a mouth speaking great boastings. In other words, he'll be a dynamic public speaker. I believe that he will be this silver-tongued order and he'll have the ability to woo and influence and, and amaze crowds. I think he'll stand before the masses on television screens and people will be magnetically drawn to what he says. He will speak to their heart language and they will be overwhelmed. You've seen people like that. I, it amazes me to think every agnostic and every liberal, silver-tongued atheist that we know are forerunners to this figure. Have you ever heard some liberal that is a great orator? a liberal pastor, a liberal politician, and they, they, you come away thrilled and you say, I'm not sure exactly what they said, but man, they said it well. And there are people that are duped all the time in that vein. Well, he'll be able to use the media and he'll stand in front of the masses with great charisma moving them. 
We don't have too many men in our day like that. I, I look back at some of the orators of days gone by, and, and there's sort of a vacuum of that today. And I think that there's going to be one that comes. And in fact, in verse 20, if you look there, it says that he was greater, or your translation may even say he was more stout than the others. It's a picture of authority. He's a commanding presence. Maybe he was physically attractive. He's a good-looking, strong, big man that is a force. When he walks into a room, he takes it over. There'll be something about him that people are magnetically drawn to. Number two, cunning. He'll be clever. He'll be a clever leader. The Antichrist will be the master politician of all times, the greatest diplomat ever known. In verse 20, it says he has human eyes. It's a picture of intellect, and, and it's illustrated in verse 8. It said he would rise up and he would push away the other three kings now think about this with me if we're looking at the scope of history and we've gone from Babylon to Medo-Persia to the Greeks and then to the Romans the Roman kingdom was never subdued the Roman kingdom will develop in the statue that we saw in chapter 2 the legs of iron represented Rome and they branched out into ten toes and here Daniel's picture is that they were ten horns and a horn represented power I, I believe that there's a picture of a ten nation confederacy that will gather together out of the old Roman empire it was never no other, no, no other empire has ever taken over the world the Roman Empire still has influence. Now, as we think about that and this one coming to be, he will be this powerful leader. He will come in peaceably and take them through flattery and all of the flattering promises that he will make. Have you ever noticed that during the political season that they will promise everything but their own lives, that politicians will promise anything and everything? Well, that will be the picture of this man. It reminds me of a passage of scripture that says God hates flattering lips. He'll ultimately take control of them and remove them. But he will be a leader of great cunning. Number three, I want you to see this. He'll be a cultic leader. A cultic leader. He'll be a spiritual leader. He won't just lead in the political realm, but he'll lead in a pastoral sense in this. The, the Bible says very pointedly in verse 25, he will defy the most high and oppress the people of the most high. He will try to change their sacred festivals and laws and they will be placed under his control. Now, for a time, for times and time and a half. We'll get into this later, but a time is a year. And times, two years, and half a time, that means we're at three and a half years. So we're talking about an event that I believe will come into the future, but he will put himself in God's place. He will rise up and demand that the nations worship him. And all of the people that we'll meet in the book of Daniel later, one of them is unique. He was a man named Antiochus Epiphanes. Antiochus Epiphanes slaughtered a pig and sprinkled the blood on the Holy of Holies. He defied the Jewish people with great wickedness. He was a, a picture, a type of what we understand and know to be the Antichrist. And, and it's amazing to me to think about this there were coins printed in his day you can still get one today or, or get a look at one in the British Museum and it said this on those coins of King Antiochus God manifested he believed in his own hype he believed that he was God and wanted people to worship him and it says he will change their their calendars and their laws he will change their structure think about it with me he, he perhaps will try to do a 10-day week instead of a seven-day week that's what they did in the French Revolution who established a seven-day week thank you for playing along let's try that again who established a seven-day week God did and so to start messing with things like that, he is putting himself in the place of God. And here's what I want you to see. What is being challenged and what is being eroded is any system of structure, morality being dispatched. Sound familiar? We're there. Folks, people are trying to mess with the laws of God and the nature of God and the law of the people of God and the moral code of people all over the place this man will be charismatic and he'll be clever and cunning and he'll be cult-like. But fourthly, I want you to see this. He'll be a cruel leader. He will be marked with cruelty. Twice in verse 23 and 26, we see trampling, crushing, devouring, oppressing. It literally says that he will wear out the saints. You say, Pastor, you're talking about a future time. What are saints doing there? 
You know, what are they doing during this time? Can I just tell you this? You need to draw in close. If you believe in, in that construct that the church has been removed, there will be people saved during the tribulation period. But they will instantly become targets marked out by this man. And the Bible says that he will oppress them and that he will uh, destroy them, but he'll wear them out. It'll be slow. Antiochus Epiphanes did this. I don't have time to go through all of it. There was a group of Jews. You see, Epiphanes made it illegal for you to worship God. It made, he made it illegal for you to own a copy of the Torah. He made it illegal for parents to circumcise their children. He made it illegal for you to establish practices of Sabbath. There were a group of Jews that gathered in a cave to worship on the Sabbath. And Antiochus heard of it. And he dispatched soldiers. And they sealed the entrance of the cave. And they burned them alive. There were two mothers that were in Jerusalem that were caught who had circumcised their eight-day-old boys. And Antiochus had those infants literally bound, tied to their mother's breast. And they were there, paraded through the streets, and then led up to the wall and thrown over the wall. There was a Jewish mother. This is all in history. Josephus and others mention it. There was a Jewish mother who was literally forced to watch all seven of her sons fried alive in what would be a frying pan, cooked to death. Wicked cruelty. Don't think that the tribulation period is going to be a little bit harder than it was today. It's going to be a nightmare like nothing we can imagine. It will be literally nothing less, nothing more than hell right here on earth. And that day is coming. And I'm not trying to be a doomsday, hell, fire, and brimstone kind of pastor. I just want to preach truth. And the Bible says that that day is coming, that there's one who will oppress, and he'll be marked by cruelty. And if you begin to see this, you'll see that he'll squeeze out the people. How does he do it? He doesn't just kill them. He snuffs them out. He may starve them out. There may be economic pressure and squeeze. Now, again, I'm not trying to be conspiracy-esque, but you realize that we are heading more and more and more toward a cashless society, are we not? And if we do away with cash, then it's pretty easy for them to track, and I say them, it's pretty easy for anyone to track every dollar you spend and every move that you make. No more giving your grandchildren a little money under the table because it really won't help in a cashless society. You see, Antiochus was a type in such a wicked way. Since we don't know who he is, we do know what he's like. Some of you are asking, so what? Pastor, I don't care. I mean, if I'm not going to be here, if you're telling me that the church is going to be raptured out, then why does it matter? I tell you why it matters. I want to make three points of application, and we're going to wrap this up. And you need to write these down. Number one, the stage is being set for the Antichrist to come. The stage is being set. Stalin was the one who said this, if you want to incite revolution, then here's what you do. Simply and pointedly debase the currency that is there. Debauch the currency and the people will clamor for hope. Right now, we are approaching what Germany approached in World War I. After World War I, the Dutch mark was worth about 25 cents to the American dollar. It took almost no time. Their treasury was completely depleted of gold. Their budget was not balanced as a nation. Sound familiar? Their money was worth little more than the paper it was printed on. It almost cost more to print money than it did to have money. And a charismatic, wonder-working leader steps up and says, I have the answer to your economic woes. People start to listen. I know some Christians that would probably follow. The stage is being set. We're coming to this place in a unique way. Number two, you need to hear this very pointedly. Speculation over the Antichrist is not the task of the Christian. Speculation of who he is is not what God's called you to do. No place in the Bible does it say, thou shalt identify the Antichrist. No, it says very pointedly that we need to follow Jesus. Let me say it this way. Everybody look this way. Everybody listen. Don't spend your time looking around for the Antichrist. Spend your time looking up for the Christ. Amen. That right there was worth the price of admission, folks. In the book of Titus, it says that we await the glorious appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ, our blessed hope. 
I have no hope in an election in 40 days. Things may prolong, and I, I pray that God would continue to be merciful to our country and to our world, but you recognize that all of this will burn. All of this will go away, and Jesus Christ will establish a throne over all of it, and he will recreate a, a new heaven and a new earth, and his holy city will come down, and he will dwell with his people. I'm looking for that day. I'm not looking for this day. I'm not looking for the Antichrist. Is it wise to know his tactic? Yes. Is it wise to understand? But what are we supposed to do, Pastor? You're telling me that's not my task. What is my task? Well, I'm glad you asked. Jesus said something very, very pointed in Luke 19. He said this. He said, occupy until I come again. Occupy till I come. In fact, I want everybody to say those four words with me. You ready? Here we go. Occupy until I come. Let's say it again. Occupy until I come. You see, we're in defeated enemy territory. And we're to occupy. We don't have to win the battle. The battle's already been won. We just have to hold our ground until Jesus comes back for us. But occupying has two major words that you need to write down. The first one is work. You got work to do. What is the work of the believer? It is to abide in Jesus Christ, to stay close to the vine and bear fruit. And what is that fruit? Is that we would share the glorious gospel with people all around us. We would share the good news. We would tell people, you don't have to face the wrath of God. You don't have to go through that tribulation. You can be rescued from, through the blood of Jesus Christ, that horror of the wrath that is to come. You can be saved today, and that's part of what I'm doing. My work is to preach the truth. I'm not trying to be doom and gloom and doomsday. I'm trying to be joy and hope and fulfillment in Christ Jesus. I'm trying to give you a warning. Me and Brother Dale talked about this just this week, that there was a man going across the twin span, or excuse me, the causeway years ago in the middle of the night. He had, had finished a, a preaching assignment, was coming across the causeway, and there was a man out in the middle of that 29-mile bridge, and he had his shirt off, and he was waving, and he said, this guy's drunk. He has literally stopped himself in the middle, and he began to ease over to the other lane, and the man just began to wave, and he waved his shirt, and he would move back to the other side. He recognized this man is not moving. I'm either going to hit him and kill him on this bridge or I'm going to stop and finally he slammed on his brakes and he stopped and the man laid across the hood of his car the man had been in a bus and the bus had gone over the edge because a boat had hit one of the pilings and destroyed a section of the causeway it happened several decades ago but he had climbed out of the water and given himself to the task of saying I don't want anyone to perish Stop before it's too late. What I would say to you in a spiritual sense today, trust Jesus before it's too late. I get so aggravated with people who malign my Savior and say, if God was loving, he'd never send somebody to hell. God doesn't send people to hell. People choose to go there. People say, I know better than God. I'm going my way. That song that Michelle sang, My Tribute, is really the essence of the decision. Are you going to live your life for your own glory or are you going to live your life for the glory of God? The Antichrist is cruel and cunning, cunning and charismatic and, and evil and, and, and conniving and wicked. And as we see that picture of that man, we move forward. And as we see it, we understand that Jesus, the the Holy One will be given authority. The stage is set, but our job's not to find it, it's to work. And the second one's to watch. We'll give you that. What am I watching for, Pastor? I'm watching for the blessed hope, the return of Jesus. Stephanie laughed at me all week last week. You see, in the prophetic calendar, all of the spring feast of Israel were satisfied in the first coming of Jesus. And the next one is the feast of trumpets. And that started yesterday. And I told her, Jesus is coming back this weekend. And she said, well, now he's not because you just said it. I'm not setting a date, but I'm looking and longing for Jesus to come. You and I need to work and watch. And when you finish watching, work. And when you finish working, watch. You need to be involved in this effort of the Christian life. Amen? 
I pray that a sermon like this would refocus your attention and, and you would recognize this. The Antichrist might be alive today, but speculation about him does not change one thing about your job and what you're called to do. You're called to live for Jesus. Occupy till I come. Watch and work. Number three, the spirit of Antichrist is already here. The spirit of Antichrist is already here. If the Antichrist's ultimate job is to begin to change laws and to begin to erode the fabric of morality and otherwise, we see that. He's called the lawless one. Anybody seen any lawlessness lately on television? All of the rioting and all of the looting and all of the craziness of a world gone mad that would say, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. Well, that's the mindset. That's the, the attitude that is anti-God. And it's everywhere. In fact, you need to tell people of this. First John 2 says it this way. Dear children, the last hour is here. You have heard that the Antichrist is coming and already many such Antichrists have appeared. The, the Jim Joneses and the David Koreshes. Yeah, those are the ones that we look out for because we see they're, they're crazy. But what about the false prophets that are filling pulpits all across America? And they're preaching a good feel, a feel-good message. They're preaching a message of, of your life can be better. You've heard me say this before, and I'm not just throwing stones at another preacher but I will say this Joel Osteen wrote several years ago you can live your best life now I don't want my best life now if your best life is right now you're on your way to hell it gets better on the other side amen this is not all there is there's more to this life than this life hallelujah for you and for me we need to recognize that the stage is set and our job is to watch and to work and we need to recognize that the attitude is already around us and we need to begin telling all of those that will listen we need to tell the younger generation students I want you to hear this clearly if I understand the Bible correctly then this spirit will continue to grow until he comes and I want you to know this I am thrilled beyond words that Jesus is in control of it all you see, we didn't go verse by verse, word by word, letter by letter, but it says that he was given that authority. If you study in Revelation 13, which is a comparison to Daniel 7, and I want you to maybe look at that later, he is given the authority that he's given and God can take it and will. Someday soon we'll hear the shout and the voice of the archangel. Someday soon we will hear the sound of the trumpet and we will be called to meet him in the air. The Apostle Paul wrote to a church that he loved dearly and he said, I don't want you to be ignorant and uninformed about what happens to those that die. I want you to know that those that die in the Lord will be called up and we that are alive and remain will be called up and we will meet them there in the air with the Lord and so shall we be with the Lord forever. Anybody looking forward to that? I'm longing for that day, but I'm not through yet. I, I preached a funeral on Friday, and there were dozens and dozens of lost people there. There were people there because this was a tradesman. He was a, a, a man that worked all of his life with his hands, and he was around some rough-and-tumble construction workers, and they all gathered, and I just got to look them in the eye and say, he would want nothing more of you right now than to know that you will spend eternity where he is. And I told them this funeral is not for him. He's not here listening. He's in the presence of Jesus. This funeral is for you. Why, pastor, are you preaching on the Antichrist? Two reasons. Number one, this is significant. Daniel chapter seven came right after Daniel chapter six. Some of y'all get home and get that. That's why I preached it. Because we're walking through the book of Daniel together. But why do I preach about the Antichrist? Because you need to understand and know where things are going. Because the, the picture is incomplete if we stop there. And the picture of where things are going is that God's got the whole thing in his hand. From beginning to end. He is sovereign. He is in control. He created it all and he will culminate it all. He began it all by breathing life into man and speaking all things into existence and he will speak with dominion and power and glory and he will reign forever and forever. Hallelujah. I want us to pray together. I want you to bow your heads for just a moment. Close your eyes.
Very simply, I want you to listen to me as attentively as possible for just the next moment. Maybe just maybe you hear of a Bible passage that you've never read before. Maybe those things have kind of weirded you out. You read it and you go, I don't understand the heads and the, the horns and the kingdoms. But this morning I have this unbelievable sense that God has spoken to me through this, that I, I, I've heard the, the Spirit calling me toward Him. And maybe today you have for the very first time literally heard or felt the Spirit of God. Today, my call and my challenge to you is this. Trust Jesus. Simply place your faith in Him. He will turn your life around. He will give you eternal life and eternal hope. It doesn't mean that your life will be made perfect, but it means that you will never be alone. That He will forgive you guilt and shame and condemnation gone. How do you do that? Recognize that He is the source of life and when we sin and turn away from him, we're cut off from life. But he gives to us life yet again because he overcame death through the cross and he rose from the dead. Today, you can simply receive him in this way by praying and saying, Lord, I need you. And by faith, I trust that what you did for me on the cross and by rising from the dead, new life is available. Father, I pray that you would speak to every heart here and that you would move in this place in the next few moments. In Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna stand together and we're gonna sing. We're gonna have prayer partners here at the front. If you need to talk to somebody about a relationship with Jesus, they'll be here to meet you. You let God have his way in this moment. Let's stand together as we sing.